Hey everybody, thank you for joining the Grace Tabernacle Podcast. Our goal is to reach our community with God's mercy, grace, and love with every podcast. We hope it will be inspirational and uplifting in your life. God bless and enjoy the podcast. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Earlier this week, I, uh, I got sick. Uh, I'm not a sickly person. I don't get sick very often, and uh, the flu bug hit me late Monday night, early uh, Tuesday morning, and 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 I lost five pounds in three days, and and that's not a diet program I would I would recommend if you're if you're looking for that. But um, I was laying there on Tuesday and and in my bed, and I, I was you know I'm not trying to be graphic or anything, but when you have the flu, things you know, and I hate that. It just, I hate that. I've always hated that since I was a kid, throwing up and all that. It just, it just, ugh, it's just, you know, not fun. And I remember lay, I was laying in there in my bed on Tuesday, and my, my wife would probably tell you I was delirious, but I was texting my mom and dad because my mom and dad are wonderful, prayerful people, and I was just saying, look, I need you to pray. I'm sick. I haven't been this sick in 15, 20 years. And I texted my dad, and, and I said that. I said, Dad, I need you to pray for me. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sick, and... I said, I haven't been this sick in 15 to 20 years. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you haven't been this sick in 15 to 20 years. That's something to be grateful for. And I said, you know what, God? Thank you for keeping me well for 15 to 20 years. I'm grateful for that. And do you know from the moment I said that prayer... I didn't have to throw up again after that. And I believe the Lord helped me in that because he knows that's just something I'm just not real good with. And so I'm just telling you this morning that gratefulness moves you into a place. Am I telling you that I wouldn't have gotten well otherwise? No, I'm sure I would have. But it probably would have lasted a lot longer than that if I hadn't just said, you know what, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for me. In the midst of my problem, in the midst of my sickness, in the midst of mine, I know a lot of you got a whole lot more going on than I've got. But I just want to let you know, in the midst of what you've got going on, if you'll be grateful, God's going to show up in your circumstance. Amen? Amen. If you've got a Bible, if you turn with me today to the book of Isaiah chapter 43, I'm going to read verse number 16 down through verse number 19. And uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach something to you that I, that I felt this week in the Holy Ghost. And I believe God wants to speak to somebody's heart in this place today. If you just open up your heart, open up your life, your mind, your spirit right now, God wants to talk to you today. Isaiah 43 beginning with verse number 16. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Thus saith the Lord, which makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as this is, this is the, the prophet Isaiah talking about what God did for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, how he opened the Red Sea and he, he defeated the armies of the Egyptians in the midst of the Red Sea. He said, this is the God who, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They're going to lay down together or they're going to be cast down together. They shall not rise, they are extinct or over with, they are quenched as toe. He's talking about something that happened in the past. And then verse number 18 says this, and I found this very fascinating in my study this week preparing for this message today. God says, I've been talking to you about what I used to do in your life, how I defeated the enemy in the past, but then he says this in verse 18, remember not 
the former things. Look at your neighbor and say, don't think about what God used to do. He said, remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, God says, I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing, and it shall now spring forth. Shall ye not know it, he says, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And I want to preach to you, teach, preach, talk, whatever I'm going to do today. From this thought, God always has another move. Look at your neighbor and say, God always has another move. He's never been defeated. He will never be defeated. The enemy is already defeated. He is under your feet because he is under his feet. Amen? Amen. Why don't you turn around and tell your neighbor they look good in the house of the Lord? If there's a guest around you, why don't you give them a fist bump in this flu season? Tell them how wonderful they look today. Tell them how excited you are about what God's going to do in your life and theirs. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. God bless you for being in the house of the Lord today. Amen. God always has another move. I'm so glad to know that my God has never backed into a corner, aren't you? I said, I'm glad to know that my God is not backed into a corner, aren't you? Amen. God always has another move. When we look at our text this morning of Isaiah chapter 43, this is, again, God speaking prophetically to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And, and uh, they, in this moment, have found themselves exiled in the nation of Babylon. And the reason that they are exiled in the nation of Babylon is because of their rebellious actions toward God. Now this is something that I have to point out to you here this morning. And that truth is this, that God's law and God's word is forever settled in heaven. David said that in the book of Psalm, that his word is forever settled in heaven. And so when God declares something to be so, it it is so. And so when you violate the word of God, when you violate the law of God, there is a penalty that comes to humanity when we violate the law and the word of God. And this is where Israel has, has found themselves in this particular place where we read this morning. They are in the nation of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has come and defeated the nation of, of Israel, the, the city of Jerusalem, that, that, that great city of Zion that the Lord said, I will place my name there. And he told David, I will defend it because of your sake and because of my sake. And so because Israel has rebelled against God, because they've rebelled against God's law and against God's calling for their life, they have found themselves in this place of captivity. And because they're in captivity, they have not enjoyed the fullness of the favor of God to the extent that they had become accustomed to in the days of their freedom. Now, I want you to understand something, and this, this is not in my notes. Even when you find yourself 
in a place where you're outside the will of God. Even when you find yourself in a place where, where you're maybe not following the purpose of God. If you have given your life to God, if you have given your, your, yourself to God and you've been born again, you've repented of your sins, you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and you're following uh, His guiding in your life to the best of your ability. Even in that state at times we find ourselves off of the path and we get ourselves away from the calling of God in our lives just like Israel did. But even in those times of trouble, we have this promise. I want you to note what it says in Jeremiah 29. I apologize to the media team. I didn't give them this. The Lord just dropped it in my mind. When they are in Babylon, this is what God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah to them. He says in verse number 5 of chapter 29, while you're there, Israel, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat of the fruit of them. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. Watch this. That you may be increased there. Where? In your trouble, in your trial, in your captivity, in that place where, where, where you are because of your rebellion against God. In that place where you are because you fell off the wagon if I can say it that way and you're walking your own path for a moment. You've got to deal with the consequences of your decision but God says if you belong to me even in the times where you're walking your own path he said I'm going to find a way to increase you in that captivity. I'm going to find a way to make sure that you still become what I desire for you to do. He said this. He said, and seek the peace of the city where you are because I have caused you to be carried away captives. And he said, pray unto the Lord for it. What? The place if you are in captivity. Pray for the peace of that place for in the peace thereof you shall have peace. And then verse number 11, one of my favorite scriptures of that same chapter, he says this, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, and they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Another translation says to give you a future and a hope. There's something beyond the trial that you're in the midst of. There's something beyond the struggle that you're in right now, and it is a peaceful ending to where God wants you to be. Come on, can you clap your hands and give the Lord praise if you're thankful that He still has his hand on you in the midst of a trial. And so Israel has not enjoyed the favor of God to the extent they'd become accustomed. And I'm sure they had begun to turn their minds toward the last time that they were in captivity in Egypt. I'm sure in the midst of Babylonian captivity, they began to tell stories about how grandpa and grandma used to do this and how grandpa and grandma, great grandpa and grandma were in captivity in Egypt. And you know what God did there? He told them to kill a lamb and he told them to put blood on the doorposts and he told them to, to eat that meal with a staff in their hands and with their shoes on their feet and that he would deliver them. And then they got caught up against the Red Sea because God took them there. And then 
when they didn't know what was going to happen next, but God showed up uh, and the Egyptian armies came after them and Moses lifted his hand over the sea and the wind began to blow all night and a dry path was made for Israel, for grandpa and grandma and great grandpa and great grandma and they walked across on dry ground. I'm sure they're telling these stories to their children and their grandchildren saying we don't know what God's going to do, but somehow we assume it's going to be just like it was last time and he's going to somehow bring us out of this place and I'm sure their minds had begun to go back to Egypt back to the Red Sea, back to the miraculous works of God to deliver them. And so God uses this this miracle of the Egyptian overthrow in the Red Sea. He uses the imagery of destroying uh, the, 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 the chariots and the horses in the depths of that Red Sea. The Bible says that as Israel got through, that the pillar of cloud came behind them and Moses lifted his hand one more time as the Egyptians were coming through and the waters came over top of them and every single one of those Egyptians were destroyed. The Bible says God spoke to Moses and said, they're destroyed so that they will never be your oppressors again. That's what God does. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to permanently remove the enemy from your life. And so God uses that imagery in our opening verses of, 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 of Isaiah chapter number 43 uh, when, when he speaks those words uh, to them. Let me find it real quick. Isaiah 43 again. He says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh the way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which brings forth the chariot and the horse. He brings forth the chariot and the horse. He caused them to follow Israel into that seabed of the Red Sea. And he says the army and the power that's involved in that, God brought it all into that place. And he said he made them lie down together or he destroyed them in the midst of that Red Sea. And he says they are extinct and they will not rise again. But then again, I love verse number 18 when he goes on God says and says but forget about all that interestingly God instructs them not to try and live off of the memories of what God has done in the past and the reason is because God always has another move God always has a different path that he can take if the enemy seems like they've come in and shut down the path of the chariots and the horses being swallowed up in the Red Sea God will say you know what I don't need the old way that I used to move because I'll create a new way to move. I don't need the miracles that I used to do in your life because I've got new miracles that you've never experienced before. God, what are you going to do in the midst of my trial? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to do something you've never experienced before. I'm going to work in a way that you never thought was possible because I am the God of another move. He's always got another move. It's not a yesterday move of God. It's not a stale move of God. I've come to preach to somebody that is caught up in the past, that is caught up in what God used to do and how God used to move. He is not a God of yesterday. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God is a God of the present. He doesn't operate in yesterday. God operates in now. And so he's going to move in a way that works today. And sometimes the way he worked yesterday isn't going to work today. He's got to find a new way 
to work. He's got to let the devil know that he's got more power than he does. God's not taking the bread from last week and trying to use it to bring you victory in this week. But God has a new word. God has a now word for you. He's got a now work for your life because God is a present God. Why, why does God do that? Why does God watch over us? Why does God work for us? Why does he do miracles and signs and wonders? The answer is because we belong to him. God is our father. He cares about us. He loves us. And no matter what your experience with your father is. I've preached on this before. Sometimes we look at God and we equate the works of God and the ability of God and the love of God for us by the way our earthly father loved us. But he is greater than our earthly father even if you had the greatest earthly father there ever was. He's still greater. He's still bigger. He still loves you more. I want you to look at what God spoke in the beginning of Isaiah 43, that chapter that we talked about, we, we, we began opening our message with this morning. He says this in verse number one of Isaiah 43. He says, but now thus saith the Lord that created you, O Jacob. Jacob is a reference to Israel there. Remember that, that uh, Jacob and Esau were the, the sons. And Jacob wrestled with the angel, the, the, the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And so he touched the hollow of his thigh. And Jacob, for the rest of his life, walked with a visible limp. Because when you come into contact with God, something is going to visibly begin to change about your life. Everybody around you is going to know they've been in the presence of the Almighty God. And so God began to speak to him and said, okay, I'll bless bless you. If you'll just let go of me, I'll bless you. And he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And he said, okay, from this point forward, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be deceiver or supplanter or heel grabber, but now you're going to be Israel. And so when you see the name Jacob in that scripture, he says, fear not, O Jacob, because I'm the one that formed you. He said, O Israel, he that formed thee Fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name and you are mine. And then he says this in verse number two. Because you are mine, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they won't overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Why? Because you belong to Jesus. In spite of the circumstance, you belong to Jesus. In spite of the trouble that you're in the midst of, you belong to Jesus. In spite of the devils that are surrounding you, you belong to Jesus. In spite of everything that is fighting against the call of God upon your life, you you belong to Jesus this morning. You belong to Jesus. And so he says, don't fear. Fear not because you belong to me. Because when it looks like the flood is going to wash you away. You have to understand the imagery that Isaiah is trying to, 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 to give us here. Israel lived, obviously, in the land of Israel. And the Jordan River was very well known for overflowing its banks 
in the springtime, in the rainy season. It was hard to cross. It really wasn't that big of a river, but when it overflowed its banks, it was really hard to get across and it would rush. And so he was saying, look, when it looks like the rivers are going to overflow you, when it looks like the rivers are going to wash you away, the rivers of, rivers of trouble in your life, he said, it's, it, it's not going to wash you away. Why? Because he's hearkening to another scripture when it, when it says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard against him. What's that mean? He's going to build a wall. He's going to build something that the enemy says, hey, God, I'm trying to do something here. And he says, oh, I know what you're trying to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to build a blockade. I'm going to build something that prevents you from coming in and washing away my child. When it seems like the fire is going to consume you in the trial. Hear me today. When it seems like the fire is going to consume you in the trial, there will be a fourth man in the fire. It's the three Hebrew boys in that, in that furnace when Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to throw you in there if you don't bow down and worship. And he said, well, you may as well go ahead and throw us in because we're never going to worship you. And the Bible says that when they threw them in, that Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, did we not throw three in? Yes, sir, we did. Well, what, what, is, what is the fourth man that's walking around in there? And Nebuchadnezzar said, he looks like the Son of God. Whew. I'm going to tell you this morning, I've come to preach to somebody that in the midst of your fiery trial, in the midst, whether it's of your own making or it's just life or the enemy that has come against you, God is going to show up because God always has another move. This is something interesting the Lord spoke to me in my preparation this week. If God can dry up the Red Sea to make a path. I found it interesting when he says, I can make a, I'm going to do a new thing. He said, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness. How many's ever been in a wilderness time in your life? How many's ever actually been in a wilderness or a desert? Somebody in the military maybe been in a desert. Deserts, wildernesses aren't easy to get through. They're not, there's not interstates that run through there. It's just, it's just cactuses and, or cacti, I guess would be the plural of that. Snakes and, and scorpions and all of these bad things that, that you really don't want to deal with in the midst of a desert or a wilderness. But God said, when you find yourself in a wilderness or a desert place, I'm going to make a path. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to give you a way out of that place. And then, and then God spoke to me this this week. He said, if I can dry up the riverbed of the Red Sea to make a path for Israel, then I can also put waters of rivers, rivers of water, I should say, in a desert place where it just feels like it's out of place. I don't know about you, but I don't ever expect to walk into a desert and see a river flowing. But God said, Sister Godby, that if I can dry up the Red Sea bed to allow Israel to walk through, then I can put a river in the midst of a desert when you are feeling like you're all on your own. And this is what I've come to preach to you today. If he did it for them, then he'll still do it for us today. There is nothing too hard for the Lord because the Lord always has another move. All the way back to his covenant with Israel. Now that covenant, when he brought Israel out of Egypt and Moses and Israel met him at the base of Mount Sinai, it was based on animal sacrifice. 
They had to take a lamb or a goat or a dove or, or something to the altar. And you've, you've probably seen that tabernacle plan before, that brazen altar where they would kill that animal and they would, they would, they would uh, burn it up on that altar and then the priest would go to the laver of water and he would wash the blood off. And then they would go into the, the holy place and, and there was the, the candlesticks and the table of showbread. And then there was an altar of incense there where worship would go up before the Lord. And then there was the most holy place where the presence of God God dwelt but, uh, above the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and all of that stuff were there. But it, but it all began with a place of sacrifice. It all began with a place of repentance would be our modern day word for sacrifice. But that animal sacrifice for Israel was never the intended conclusion of relationship between humanity and their creator. God always wanted a relationship based in love and choice on the part of his greatest creation. But the Bible says that sin created a problem for us. This is what Isaiah 59 and 2 says. He says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. The Bible says that sin created a problem between God and the people that he was trying to have relationship with. It is a sin issue. Paul makes it very much clearer in his letter to, to Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and he describes the dilemma that we as humanity find ourselves in. This is what he says in Ephesians 2 and 1. He says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He says this in verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation or the lifestyle that we lived. It was, it was among the, the, the things of the world and the things of the devil in, in, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath, he says. The very nature within us because of sin we are in a spiritually dead place because of the sinful nature that we are born in or with. We live according to what our carnal nature dictates to us, according to Paul. Our nature is by, net, by definition at odds with God. John talks about in 1 John 2 and 16, he says, the things in the world that tend to consume the lives of humanity are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All of these things, they run contrary to the heartbeat of God for you and I in our daily lives. God does not want us to live in sin. Any, any preacher that ever tells you that, 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 that God wants to have a connection with you and then you're to walk back out and live the same life that you lived before you came into contact with Jesus, I'm here to tell you that preacher is not preaching you the truth because every person that ever came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ when he walked on the earth, they walked away changed. They walked away different. Why? Because my God, has another move because my God came to transform the man that's on the inside of me into who he desires for me to be. And so Paul continues in verse 12 describing the further seemingly impossible predicament that we find ourselves in. Verse number 12, the same chapter, he says that at that time, the time when we were walking according to our own desires and our own will, he says you were without Christ. 
You're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You're strangers from the covenants of promise. You have, you have no hope and you are without God in the world. This language that Paul uses of aliens and strangers, Paul doesn't use that, those words by accident. He actually uses them very much purposefully because as a Pharisee in Israel, before he was converted, Paul was very much a student of the law. And Paul understood that all the restrictions and the requirements associated with the Israelite law and, 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 and the, the feasts and the celebrations and all of the things that as a Jew you could involve yourselves in. You could have the favor of God on you from all of these different things that you engaged in and involved yourself in as a child of God in the Old Testament. And so one such restriction of Israelite law and, and, and Judaism and feasts and, and all of the, the celebrations that they uh, engaged in was this, that no stranger or alien, non-Jew, was permitted to participate in any of the feasts or the celebrations. And so they thus in turn did not have the ability to have the favor of God on their lives in that way. They didn't have the blessing of God. God's favor was not upon them. But Paul tells us, I'm so thankful that God always has another move. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20. I read it on Wednesday night two weeks ago. It says, but where sin abounded, grace. I said where sin abounded, grace did much more Abound. I'm in this, this pulpit this morning preaching about a God that has another move. Paul says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has another move. John says, you're walking according to the lusts of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of lives are, are, in, are, are incompatible. Or our lives are incompatible with the presence of a holy God, but God has another move. With all of those things being true about what, what, what the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul would declare in their letters to the churches. This is what Paul would say in Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God who is rich in mercy. I don't know if that hits you like it hit me this morning, but I've been in a place where I needed the mercy of God. I've been in a place where I needed God not to judge me because of my actions, but to show his love and his mercy in my life. And so when I read what Paul said, you are far away from God, but God who is rich in mercy, your life is incompatible with the Holy One, but God who is rich in mercy I'm thankful for a merciful God that continues to show his love in my life he says this in verse 5 even when we were dead in sins he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus God didn't have to do what he did do you realize that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God could have wiped them out 
and started completely over. He could have thrown Satan into hell. He could have reformed the earth. He could have spoken everything into existence again. He could have created a whole new Adam and a whole new Eve and he could have started over. But the Bible says that he was the lamb that was slain from the very foundations of the world. What's that mean? It means that when he created Adam, he understood that he was going to robe himself in flesh and he was going to come and die on a cross and he was going to give blood that would sanctify us. He was going to shed blood that would redeem us. He was going to do what only he could do to make sure that we had relationship with him again. He didn't have to do what he did, but he is a God that is full and overflowing with mercy. Nobody forced God from his heavenly throne, but God is love. God is full of grace. Jesus Christ himself, when he was walking on the earth, he said, no man takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. Why? Because he said, I've always got another move. When Satan was in the garden of Gethsemane and he saw that Judas was walking in with the, with the, 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 the guards from the temple and they were about to arrest Jesus, Satan thought he had won. When Jesus on the cross lifted up his voice and said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost and that body died. Satan thought he had won. Do you realize that? Satan thought he won. Paul says in one of his writings, I don't have it in my notes, so this is free this morning. Paul says, if, if those princes of darkness had known what they were doing, they would have never done what they were doing because what they didn't realize is they were unleashing a greater power on this earth than they ever thought would be present. They thought when Jesus died that the power died. But in Acts chapter 1, he looked at his disciples and said, and you shall receive power after that the the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me. The same power that dwelled in Jesus Christ, the same power that brought him from the grave is the same power that wants to live on the inside of every one of us that are believers in him. Praise God. Praise God. Hmm. He's full of grace. Think about it. In the midst of our state of spiritual death, the Bible says Jesus gave his life to save us. He saves us to raise us into a new standing with him. Listen to Paul's words. There's a transition here. I want everybody to understand what's going on here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 13. Remember, he's talking about how we're aliens and strangers and we're without hope and without Christ and all these things. He says this in verse 13. But now, in Christ, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. Watch this. For he is our peace who hath made both one. What's he talking about? The Bible says that the man Christ Jesus is the mediator. You understand what that means? That means the man, Christ Jesus, we know he was God manifest in the flesh. We know that. But the man, he was fully God and he was fully man. The man, Christ Jesus, is the mediator between God and men. The Bible says, Paul says, he hath broken down the middle wall of partition. He hath broken down what separated us from him. And the Bible says he took God and he took us and he brought us together. Isn't that an amazing thought? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, you who had no hope, you who had no chance of making it to what God wanted you to be because you are in Christ. 
You have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. It's, it's this place of peace is a place of communion that we've never known before. Jesus invites us to sit down at his table. We sing that song. We invite, or he invites us to sit down at your table where I can taste and I can see that you are good. You are always faithful to welcome me, the least of these. Right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to invite you to sit down at his table because by his blood, we are declared righteous before God. The separation that Isaiah declared was there between us and him. He said, your sins, your iniquities have separated you from God. That separation is now gone. Pay close attention to what he says in verse number 19, Ephesians 2, 19. He says, now therefore, there's that word, therefore. We see the word therefore, we've got to find out what it's there for. It's something that happens in your life. He says, now, therefore, now that you are in Christ, he says, you are no more strangers and foreigners or aliens, but you're now fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. God always has another move. I don't know where you are today. I don't know the conversations that you have been having with the Lord. I don't know the conversations you've been having with your, 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 your wife or your husband or your children or your parents or your neighbors or whoever it is that you talk to about life and God. I don't know the conversations that have been going on with you, but I know that God sent me to preach to somebody today that he is not boxed into a corner by your circumstance. He made a way out of your Red Sea predicament. He's made a way out of your Babylon problem, the this morning because he is the way. Stand with me this morning. Jesus has made a way. He's made a way for you to get out of the issue that you're mired in this morning. There's a process according to the word of God to get you, if you read the epistles of the New Testament, the letters that Paul and the different individuals wrote to the churches, they, the, 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 the conversation or the verbiage of sons and daughters and servants and all of this is a, is a common theme throughout the, the epistles or the letters written by the apostles. And there is a process to get you from Egypt to Canaan. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a promise for your life. God has a place that he wants to take you to. There is a, a defined place that God has, has, has already created for you to get to in a relationship with him. It's already defined. All you have to do is follow his plan to get there. It's your path from Egypt where you start, Egypt is always a type of sin in the Word of God. It's your path from Egypt to Canaan. It's your path from Babylon or captivity. You, know, you want to know what the difference is? Help me out this morning. Understand this. Egypt is you before you come to Jesus. It's you and your sin. Israel, they weren't God's they were God's chosen people, but he hadn't, he hadn't confirmed that covenant with them yet. 
That didn't happen until they got with Moses at the bottom of Mount Sinai. That he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people and all of that. He had already told Abraham, I want to call them, okay? But they weren't quite there yet. So Egypt is you before you come to your relationship with God. Babylon is you after you've already been saved, but you kind of fell. You backslid. You walked away from God. You found yourself in a troubled place. That's Babylon for you. And I've come to preach to somebody this morning that God's already made a way from Egypt to the promised land, if that's where you are. And if you're in Babylon right now, he's already got a way to get you from Babylon back to Jerusalem again. Wherever you find yourself, there is a process. Jesus created the path on the cross. The scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith. That's what the Bible says. But the Apostle James tells us this, and I don't want to blow anybody's theology this morning, but this is Bible. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay? We're saved by grace through faith, but James tells us that our faith without works is dead. Being alone. That's what James says. Okay? So, so let, me, let me help you this morning. It's not our works that save us. We're saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. But it is our obedience that opens the door for God to do the saving, which he's the only one that can do. Are you cool with me this morning? It's your obedience to the plan of salvation, to the process of the new birth, that John 3, 5 talks about. Jesus said in John 3, 5 when he talked to Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the words of Jesus Christ. Except a man be born again of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Peter would explain what Jesus means in practical terms by being born again in the book of Acts. When the Jews asked how they should respond when Peter preached the message of the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. He told those Jews that were gathered around, he said, you rejected the Messiah. You crucified the Messiah. But he was raised again from, from the dead and he now lives in eternity. And when they heard that message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those Jews said, what must we do? And Peter responded like this. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a new way. It's another way. It's another miracle that God has created for each and every one of us to look at and say, hey, I didn't know that I could get out of my sin. I didn't know that I could get out of my Babylon. I didn't know there was a way out of my Egypt, but there is a way out. He paid the price on Calvary. He shed blood that would redeem my soul. And as long as I will just simply obey what he's asking me to do, if I'll bow my knee and repent of my sins. I'll go to the waters of baptism. Akilah's getting ready to get baptized in the name of Jesus here in just a moment. I'm so excited for her. God's been talking to her about getting baptized. She's getting baptized here in a few moments. If I'll do what God wants me to do, He will transform my life. This is the key to you walking in the freedom that God has designed for your life. This is... This is 
what I feel like the Lord wanted to speak to somebody in this place. And I said it last week. I say it about just about every Sunday. You're not here by accident. You've been seeking the Lord. You've been asking God. God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to do in my heart and my mind? This is what the Lord is speaking to you today. I want to, I want to, I want to do a new thing in your life. I want to do something that you've never dreamed of before. You, 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 you've been seeking me for so long, but now is the time. Paul said today is the day of salvation. And so I'm going to open up this altar right now. And I, this, this, is, this is maybe a new thing for you. And if it is, I, I, don't, I don't mean to put you in a, in a, in a place where you're out.